Let's start by turning to Proverbs 6. I want to read three verses. Proverbs 6. This will be our introductory text for this lesson on finance, personal finance. Okay, it reads. I still see some people pulling them out. Proverbs 6, 6. I want to read 6 through 8. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which have no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. There's two fundamental principles that I find here in 6 through 8, and that is that of working and that of saving. Okay, that of saving. Let me read one more proverb. I want to read 18.9. 18.9. Covers both these principles. That is the wrong reference. Oh, no, it is the right one. I'm in the wrong chapter. Okay. He also that is slothful in work is brother to him that is a waster. Uh, the reason why I pointed this out in one in the ant, the ant was doing two things. The ant worked and the ant also saved. Um, poverty comes from forsaking either one of the two or both. If you work really hard and you spend everything you have, you'll be a waster. If you don't work and you save everything you have, you won't have anything to save, so you will be in poverty also. So it takes that to do both. You need to work hard, but you also need to be conservative in your spending. You have to have your arms around your expenses. Okay, with that being said, let's go to the book of First Timothy. I want to talk about extremes. Now, God's word is to be a thorough furnisher unto all things, and I believe that includes finance. The Bible says all scripture is inspired by God, and I believe that includes the verses on finance. As we talk about finance, this isn't just a good suggestion. This is the word of God. And I do believe God designed marriage, he designed family, and he actually designed finance also. So 1 Timothy 5.8, let me read that one. And I want to show extremes. When we talk about practical subjects, our tendency as humans is to run into one of the two ditches. The first ditch is in 5.8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. This is a case of a head of household well, in this particular case, it's talking about providing for uh, widows and widowers. But, in, it, but, but a point here is in this particular verse, as I look at this, if, if we do not have anything to provide for a wife and children and older parents and, and, and younger children, the Bible says I am worse than an infidel. So I need to work, I need to have to be able to provide. But on the extreme of that, Let's go to the other ditch, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and at a certain we can carry nothing out. 
and having food and raiment, let us be therewith their content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and hurtful lusts, and drown men in destruction and perdition. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. While some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Many times uh, you've heard the phrase, money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible verse says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. So you can have money and not be sinning, but if you spend all your time and effort accumulating money, then you've crossed the line. So the two extremes are someone that doesn't work and has nothing, but the other extreme that works like crazy, simply trying to accumulate to have, um, have money because it's, it, it's agreed there. So somewhere there's a balance, and I think the balance is covered pretty well. Uh, having food and raiment, let us, be with, let us be content. Hopefully we can find contentment in there. So that being said, I want to try to introduce just a few concepts. Again, this introduction won't be long. I want to spend most of the time behind me on the, the dry board. But um, in this Wednesday night Bible study, I'm just trying to introduce you to show you all the scripture that's available talking about money and talking about financial stewardship. Okay? Let me quote a couple verses here. This would not be the entire verse. But Romans 12 and 11 says, Be not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. There's a way you conduct yourself <clears throat> in your secular uh, professions that is a testimony to Jesus Christ. And a lazy worker is not a good testimony to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4 and verse 28 it says, labor, work with hands is good to have excess. The Lord would have you have success, excess. Now, why would you want excess? Well, I think we have to be good stewards and we want to prepare for hard times. I think we want to be good stewards so we can help others in need. I want we excess so we can um, help, uh, help causes of the Lord. And we want success that, you know, bad stuff happens. Um, people get sick. You need to have nest eggs. This is part of wise financial stewardship. Okay? Um, let me keep on going here. Colossians 3, 22 through 25, talking about honest work honors and pleases the Lord. And if you're doing things to cut corners at work or you're doing a business and you're cutting corners on service, uh, that does not please the Lord, even though you're making your profit margin higher. So we want to have uh, uh, work and we want to have excess and we want to be able to do that to help others, but we don't want to do it in such a way that it um, is a blemish on the Lord's reputation. And then finally, Titus 3 and 14, work hard for life's necessity, avoid unfruitfulness. Uh, Two-thirds of family problems are financially related. When you look at the causes for divorce, finance is usually one of the top five. Depression can be a cause of, uh, um, I mean, financial stress can be a cause of depression, and it's also absenteeism. When you are stressed financially, you may take a job you might not otherwise take. You may be working the Lord's Day and missing church service and worship because you are behind on your payments. And the Lord would have us to be free in Christ, and one way we're free in Christ is not having that debt. I think I've shared with you before the words that we use in our economy to describe debt is, is truly amazing. We, we, 
in, in the modern vernacular, we use words like leverage and tax shelter to describe debt. In the old days, they used to describe it as bondage, as debentures, as uh, a mortgage. Everybody knows mortgage is a compound word, right? Mort, what's the definition of mort? Death gauge is a bond. A mortgage is a death bond. That's what it literally means. Okay? So but, but we've come and we've used it to talk about debt and in, 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 um, buying power. Called debt buying power? Really? Okay. So we, we need to be careful with that. Okay. Let me give you a couple fun facts here. Genesis 47, 18, just to prove that God is a God that he knows about finance. Number one. He documented limited money supply before there was a Federal Reserve. That's in Genesis 47, 18. Exodus 22, 25 through 27. He addressed subprime lending before the banking crisis. Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 21. He addressed workfare before welfare and its reform. Deuteronomy 28, 43 through 45. He addressed debtor nations before trillion dollar stimulus packages. You thought that was all brand new stuff. Uh-uh. This is recorded in Deuteronomy and in, in the book of Moses, that, the book that Moses wrote. Proverbs 11, 26, 26, he addressed supply and demand curves before Adam Smith and OPEC. Colossians 4 and 1, he protected laborers before there were unions. That's also addressed in Matthew 20, 10 through 15. And then finally, 1 Timothy 5, 4 and 16, he sanctioned family before Social Security. So when we look at God, God had plans for uh, folks that were down and out, and that happens from time to time. But he also gave us responsibility and fiscal responsibility, and it's part of that great big umbrella we call stewardship. So with that being said, I hope you're convinced that the Bible at least addresses the subject of finance. Okay? This is where we're at. Now, when we're done with this, we're going to come up with a lot of scripture talking about finance. This is kind of a broad overview, trying to convince you that God does have a lot to say about it. There's a preacher down in Florida, Brother Glenn Blanchard, and he's talking other than salvation. He mentioned this, and I still haven't looked it up to see if it's true or not, but he said the subject that's most often talked about second to God and Jesus Christ is the subject of money. It's used in illustration and parables and, 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 and um, all kinds of uh, illustrations and also uh, directions for managing it and keeping it and using it wisely. But the key here is the love of money. So as we go through this, I hope I taper it, I, I temper all my comments, knowing that we're not doing this to boast, we're not doing this to get um, confident ourselves. See? There is a prayer in Scripture talking about, Lord, this is a proverb, Lord, don't make me so poor that I'm tempted to steal. But don't make me so rich that I'm tempted to count on my assets as opposed to count on God. I want that middle road. And that's what we're shooting for. We're shooting for the attitude. The attitude is really, really important. Okay, let me give you a couple verses here now. Uh, Luke 16 and verse 11 this might sound like a really strong statement. If not faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you true trusts? You know, when you look at a person's financial stewardship, it's going to give you a little bit of glimpse 
into their spirituality. It really will. Think about it. What does it take? It takes a little bit of discipline. It takes energy. It's a way to judge an elder. It's a way to raise children. It's a way to gauge potential spouses. It's a way to gauge churches and nations. We need to be doing this. Okay? So that may sound cold, but I do believe as we go through this study and we look at all the aspects of financial um, planning and, and stewardship, we'll realize that, hey, God does put a lot of uh, stress on this. All right. Let's, uh, let's give you just a couple more comments, and then we're going to go to, um, we're going to borrow uh, David Ramsey's baby step number one. That's when I'll turn off the, uh, the mic, and we'll go into the question and answer session. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about the underlying principles of finance and your stewardship. The first is, is in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I don't want my heart on money. I want my heart, though, on being on free in Christ. And sometimes money is the means to that end. Ecclesiastes 5.18-20, through 20, enjoy the fruit of your labor. It is a gift of God. God says you're working and having bounty and being able to enjoy a good meal. That's a gift, and it's from him. Luke 8 and verse 14, talking about um, some seed fell among thorns. They were choked out by the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this world. Get to a point where I'm looking at the other end of this spectrum is I can get to a point where I'm so worried about money, I start ignoring the things of God. See, that's the other ditch. We got to find that middle road. This is going to be hard for some folks. The who and what of stewardships, talents, natural resources, and time. You know, God did not create all of us equal. He did not create all stewards equal. He did not give stewards identical missions. And he did not put all of us in certain, the same economic condition. Okay? Sometimes there's seasons. There's seasons when we... Are prosper, there's sometimes seasons when we're taxed. And, and, and we go through different seasons. Okay. Um, just a couple more comments. Completing your duties. God gives gifts, but we have to exercise them. God would have us work earnestly. 2 Corinthians 5.10. He would have us work wisely. Isaiah 28.23-29. Proverbs 8.8.15. 8, he would have us work obediently. And then finally, Ecclesiastes 12, 5 through 6, he would have us work without promise. What does that mean? Well, if you have a job and you're working because you think you're going to get a promotion out of it, that's not the promise we're talking about. He would have us work even without promise, have us work with a good reputation. We may be blessed, we may not. But I'm going to work hard and I'm going to work honestly and I'm going to work obediently because it glorifies him. Okay? And then one last thing, way down at the bottom. This is the reason why we gather and save. We provide for or during. Proverbs 30, 24, and 25, we, we save for hard times. Proverbs 13, 22, we save for our grandchildren. Galatians 6, 6, we save for the cause of Christ. And 
Ephesians 4.28, we save for those in need. Those are all pretty good reasons to save.